that moment, I always talk about this, that my dad gave me a hand up instead of a hand out. He, mm. he instilled confidence in me that I needed to go and reinvent myself as somebody who was a victim to somebody yeah. who was in charge. And, and that was the start of my, that was my very first reinvention. Hello, Hello. everybody. Welcome to At Home with Lyndon Drew Scott. This is a show where we're chatting with artists, experts, dreamers, and doers about what makes us feel most at home. Your yellow sweater makes me feel most at home. Mm, and me wearing your sweaters makes me feel at home. Yeah. And what else makes me feel at home? My sweater matches your blanket. I know. We did this purposefully. Mm. Be aware if you have kids, this episode may have a bit of potty language. And there may be a swear <laughs> word or two, but nothing too big. This is at home. <laughs> lovely in that sweater. I was going to oh. say at the beginning, hello yellow. You call me hello yellow. Alright, ready? I'm ready. Oh, yeah. We've already started. Oh, have we? Okay. <laughs> so much happening in this week and by that I mean, man, I have had some killer indigestion and oh. it's not going away. So I've had this now for a couple of weeks. It's been getting worse, like that acid reflux and it's not fun. You, you don't get that, do you? No, because I chew my food. Linda thinks it's solely I, because I eat. I, I'm like a snake. I take food down whole. Inhales it, and I then do. he tries to tell a story while he's eating. <laughs> I do chew my food. I just happen to chew fast and swallow. Chew fast. <laughs> my problem is though, I, I talk while no, I don't talk with food in my mouth, but I Yikes. I talk fast and then I eat fast, and I probably don't fully chew it before I swallow it. See? And so I've also saw an ENT as well about it. And they said, yep, inside. Ear, nose, And throat, throat. specialist. Yeah. And they shoved a little camera through my sinus, like Ooh. down my nose. And I saw inside and it was definitely inflamed. He said, that's because of all the acid reflux. So to get rid of that, here are some things you have to do. Stop eating three to four hours before you go to bed. He said, cut out refined sugars, tomatoes. I love tomato sauce and tomatoes. Um, he said, I have to... Do a couple other random things. And I've been doing it. Uh, I felt a little better. Yeah. I haven't good. had junk food. I haven't had like sugar, refined sugars. You've had, we just had bread yesterday. Yeah, but sourdough. N- no, there's like another bread thing that we ate. You tricked me with non sourdough bread. I didn't bread. trick you. I, I got it for myself. And it you was ate so it. good. It was so good. <laughs> um, okay, so I thought I was being good not having refined sugars, but I guess I had a little bit. But I haven't had junk food. I haven't had chocolate in over a week. And usually I'm like my dad. I have a secret stash of it <laughs> Canadian chocolate. Uh, in Drew's bedside table, there is usually chocolate and a bag of chips. Listen, you make me sound like I'm super unhealthy. Overall, no, it's I'm just pretty like a good. Treat. But it's a little treat from time to time. Is it sad that the, the stuff that's the worst for us is the treat? Yeah, we need to change the language around that. Maybe a treat for me should be like a peach. Oh, that that is a great treat. That is a good treat. Yeah. It has to be convenient. We got to stop calling like junk food treat. Yeah, exactly. Change for that what narrative. it is, poison. But this poison. is, I am, I've been reinventing my eating habits a little bit to try and see if I can counteract it's it's necessity because of the issues I've been having with acid reflux. It's very uncomfortable. When if I'm working out and I go down to do like a push up, that is not comfortable. But I feel like I'm gonna puke. Ew. But uh, I have felt better the last couple of days, so hopefully this is something. If I do it for a few weeks, it'll help to start counteracting. Mm. Here's a question for you. 
in general, a lot of people sort of have those moments where they're sort of rethinking where they're at, what they're doing, what their passion and goals and focus is out of necessity. But you look at something like the pandemic, the pandemic has actually slowed everyone down and given a lot of people a chance to reinvent themselves because they've had the space to think about what their priorities are. Like yeah. think of the, the great resignation. Yeah, and and that was also out of necessity. Well, I guess some, yeah, I guess well, some yeah, of it Yeah, because it forced us to be at home, those of us who were lucky enough to be at home. No, but a part of that is not just necessity. It's just people actually thinking like, is this really what I want to be doing? No. Yes, now, I mean, what instigated it, yes, was a necessity, but the time that we were given to reflect. Right, right, right. Right. Um, and I think ultimately is a necessity. I mean, this is something that I'm really curious about too, even from our listeners, if you want to message us on social media and let us know something that you've done to change your direction and your path and what you're doing. I, I feel it's a, it's been a good thing. What's something that you've changed? What's your reinvention? Well, one big thing is with work, I'm, you know, every day I'm asking myself like, why do I do what I do? Do I keep doing it? What should I do? What do I want? I don't know. You have reinvented in the sense that like you quit like what you do with our company. Like you, you don't do, you're not involved the way you were before with uh, development in the magazine that like you focused in now on at home and what we're doing here, which is, that's, that's great because that's you uh, narrowing in on your passion and focus. I mean, obviously I will always be involved because you and me, but yeah, it has given, I've given myself more time to just focus on the things that I personally want to do. In all this reinvention talk, it's also because our guest this week has actually written a book all about reinvention. You may know her as a dragon on one of our favorite TV series, Dragon's Den. It's Arlene Dickinson. She's a fellow Canadian, self-made entrepreneur. She is a venture capitalist, philanthropist. She's a three-time best-selling author. And most importantly, she's a mom. Her leadership has been recognized so many times, including as Canada's most powerful woman in the top 100 Hall of Fame. I think she's been recognized like a million times for being a strong, driven business owner. She inspires so many people to go after their passions. She's the founder and CEO of Venture Park, Canada's most extensive business growth ecosystem focused on consumer packaged goods. Also, she is a marketing Hall of Legends inductee and a proud recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Award. She's also served many years as an honorary captain in the Royal Canadian Navy. I don't think we need to keep talking and talking. I think we just need to get in and chat with Arlene Dickinson. This is Arlene. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. <laughs> my security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. <laughs> Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. 
It's sad that we don't get to see each other in person as much as of late. It's been a, a little while, but um, it's always so, you have such an energy that invigorates us after we, we chat. And I, was, I loved being on your podcast too. That was a lot of fun. But, that was fun to listen to. Yeah, and we, we, we want to talk about reinvention. We want to talk yeah. about work life and personal life. You're someone who is always so poised. And whenever anybody sees you from Dragon's Den to wherever you are, you're so poised. But are you, you got to be honest, are you like a duck where it's all poised above water, <laughs> but below the surface, it's like, brrr, the legs are going a mile a minute? <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I, I'm not really a hot mess. <laughs> is that what you're asking, Drew? <laughs> yeah, is that what you're asking? Am I a hot mess no, when I'm no. not on the show? I don't, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I, maybe it's my age. Um, I'm feeling like I'm, and I've always said this, that what you see on television is who I am. Like, I, I don't have the energy, Drew and Linda, to be somebody different. Like, I just, I don't want to remember what I said. I was like how I appear somewhere else and then be somebody different. So, no, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty, I have my moments. So I get, I can get upset about things and I'm human. Yeah. 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 I mean, we all do, but I, I think, um, you know, in, in my opinion, with everything that we've done over the years with our, our work, I think it's how you react to situations that get a little bit stressful um, or situations that can be anxiety-ridden. It's how you, you cope with that and deal with that that really shows your character. And I think yeah. you got some solid character because the way that, uh, I mean, especially when watching your shows too, when you're dealing with some of the um, frantic ideas or personalities out there, you always have an eloquent way of doing it. Yeah, and, and I just have to say, when we uh, confirmed you for the podcast, me and... All my sisters were like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> <laughs> well, I got—I have to say that I think it's adorable that you two are sitting here holding hands. Like, I—it I, honestly—it <laughs> just it makes—it's so wonderful. I mean, I know you're madly in love and have been for you know a while, but it just shows, you know, like I just love that you've been working together and doing the things you're doing, and you're still, you know, so connected. So, oh, yeah, uh, I'm excited I mean, to be here. It's about balance. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit too, if I didn't have Linda in my life, I would probably just work nonstop. And I think it's such a great refreshing reminder yeah. of the importance of your family time and your downtime and focusing here. And yeah. yeah. But uh, how do you find for you, how do you find that balance? Because you are very busy with all, maybe you can explain the, 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 the depth of everything that you do to everyone listening as well. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I want to start by saying that balance is such a personal thing, you know, and we're, and finding it is really a journey. And I think everybody gets, you know, balance implies everything's equal 50, 50, but the fact is life is never equal. Like there's always, you know, competing interests and things trying to get your attention. And I really believe that balance comes from prioritizing what's important to you. And then always putting those things in order of importance first. And a lot of people don't do that. They get drawn into whatever's in front of them and then they forget the things that matter to them. And that's why divorces happen. That's why relationships, especially for entrepreneurs, you know, fall apart because they haven't prioritized their relationship. It's kind of almost like everything else matters but that. So it's, um, it's nice to see that you guys have from uh, from a, what do I do perspective? I've been, I mean, certainly I've got the TV or lead that I've done I've done four shows over the course of uh, time and Dragon's End being the longest running one and I'm since season 16 right now, which is wow. insane Crazy. to me. And, you know, that's been a learning experience. And I, I've been in marketing and strategy my whole life. So I've got our own marketing businesses. And, and then I, this last about six years ago, I thought because of Dragon's End, I started thinking about what was going on with people's food and 
their health. And this is prior to the pandemic. And I thought, you know, that would be a great investment space, you know, where people all are thinking about what they're eating now and what they're doing. And so I raised a hundred million dollar fund and I've been investing in the food and health consumer goods space. And I'm about, I'm in the middle of raising my second fund right now. And so I invest in companies, a lot of companies, and I spend my time helping entrepreneurs along that continuum of success to get them so they can become, you know, better brands and bigger brands and, and scale. So mm-hmm. that's that's what I do. Just that. Just that. Yeah, no, no. no big deal. Just raise a $100 million <laughs> fund and on to the next one, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's like a huge thing, but I, I just want to go back a bit and give our listeners some context as to like why we're really excited to have you on on at home, we always talk about like the feeling of at home and not necessarily just in our house, but with with people we love or like our favorite hiking trail or like with a great meal or when we're proud of something at work. You know, that feeling of like, you know, this is it. I'm like supposed to be here. But on the flip side, we also know what it feels like, you know, to not feel at home, to feel out of place and be like, oh, like something's not right. And you are the master of reinvention. You wrote the book about it. You have a podcast about it. Um, so can you share what your one of your earliest times you had to reinvent yourself was and how that has influenced how your approach changed in your life? Yeah. I mean, the first time I, I reinvented myself was when I was 31 years old. And that was when I went through a divorce. By the time I was 27, I had four children and I had, was determined to be a mom. That was what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I still think that's kind of the most noble profession there is. If there, if, wouldn't call it a profession, but noble calling there is, is to be a mother. But I ended up in a messy divorce and ended up um, single, alone, joint custody of my kids, no education, no money, no skill set, no nothing. I had a high school education. And then I had to kind of figure out how I was going to put food on the table and a roof over our heads. And, you know, a little quick story. I remember when I was in the middle of divorce because it was so ugly being on my dad's couch, you know, laying on his couch for about three weeks and crying my eyes out and feeling so super sorry for myself and having the world's biggest pity party. And I just couldn't get off the couch. And he, he came home one day and looked at me and he said, Arlene, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing on the couch? And I said, well, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm, my life's a mess. I've lost my kids, you know, part-time. I, I don't have a job. I have no money. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, well, who do you think's going to get you out of that? And I remember looking up at him very hopefully and going, you? (laughs) And and he looked at me and he said, no, Arlene, you, you have to get up and figure out how you're going to take the gifts you have with your, you know, your skills and your two hands and your mind. And you have to figure out how you're going to put food on the table. So get up. And, and it was at that moment, I always talk about this, that my dad gave me a hand up instead of a hand out. He, mm-hmm. he, he put instilled confidence in me that I needed to go and reinvent myself as somebody who was a victim to somebody yeah. who was in charge. And, and that was the start of my, that was my very first reinvention. When you sort of got rid of the pity party and you actually started looking at what you felt your assets were and what you were good at, what was, what was that natural ability that you had that started you on that path of reinvention? I was really good at listening and understanding what I had high EQ. 
and I did, I couldn't have characterized it then, um, Linda and Drew, like I didn't know to call it that, but mm-hmm. I had grown up in a very dysfunctional family myself. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm the only person listening to this podcast <laughs> who's ever grown up in a dysfunctional family. Um, but um, that, that, that dysfunctional family, I was the youngest kid and there was a lot of yelling and fighting that went on all the time. And there was a lot of stress. Uh, we were immigrants to the country and there was a lot of stress. And I became a really good listener as a result of that childhood I, I learned how to listen to the angry words that were coming out of people's mouth when they were upset or hurt and thinking about what they were really trying to say because mm-hmm. I this was my family I knew them I knew that they didn't mean those things that they were saying mm-hmm. and I think that ability to listen well and with intent created made me into a good marketer because mm-hmm. marketing is all about understanding pop culture and what's going on in the zeitgeist and what's ma- you know what motivates people to do what they do and and so I I think it was just applying that that made it made me successful. Some people on Dragons I need to listen to how you listen because if they were actually just instead of trying to push an idea on you and trying to read between the lines as to what you guys are really looking for, I think they would probably get more deals. But from your end of it, when people are pitching you, have you found that's a massive asset? I always tell people that, you know, they say, what's the skill I should learn? I always say, learn how to listen. You know, we're so busy thinking about what we're going to say next that Mm. we don't really hear what people are saying. And when you're pitching, if all you're doing is intent on getting a script out, you lose your creativity. Mm -hmm. You lose your kind of soul. I mean, this is true in acting. You guys would know this. You're on TV. Like, you know, when you're on TV, if if you're so stuck by a script that you don't have leave room for spontaneity and for kind of really thinking about what's happening and and seeing the moment, the TV moment that might be happening outside of what you anticipated, if you're not ready for that, you lose that. You miss Mm -hmm. that. That, That's the goal. That's the moment. Great advice for all husbands too. Yes. yes. Great advice. <laughs> Can <Listen>. we dig- <laughs> Yes, listen. Can we dig a little deeper into the moment where you're like, okay, I'm I'm gonna do this? What are the early steps that you know people can adapt? And of course, like you say, listen to a lot of like outside voices and influences. But how do you also listen to yourself to, you know, answer the the big question in life? What do you want? You know, I can't even answer that. I I don't want to take too much time talking about reinvention in in terms of the process, but there is a process Mm -hmm. to it. And Linda, you you really nailed it. A lot of us don't spend time thinking about what our purpose is. We're so busy chasing, you know, people say, chase your passion. Well, okay, but I can be passionate about chocolate chip cookies. Doesn't mean (laughs) I should make a living doing it, right? Like there's lots of things I can be passionate about. Doesn't mean that it's going to give me a reason to get out of bed every day. And I think figuring out what your why is, whether that's your family, your friends, your, your, your community, your, you know, a cause of some sort, whatever that is, the time spent to get there is the most important time you'll spend in your life. Cause that's kind of sets your path to what you care about. And so I always tell people like spend some time thinking about your past. Cause if people, people's inherent desire is to move forward. We're taught, like, don't look back there because it's ugly sometimes back there. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's shit we did that we aren't proud of and that we don't want to think about again. And it's actually, I think, when you reinvent yourself, you have to do the opposite. You have to spend time thinking about what you liked about yourself and what you want to bring forward into the future mm-hmm. and the lessons you learned and the moments you were most proud of the things you did. And then when you do that, that helps you kind of uncover then your your why, which is what's your mm-hmm. purpose? Like, why, why are you here? It's not just to live and have fun every day because, you know, at some point you're going to be my age and, and I can guarantee you, you'll look back and say, 
what did I leave behind here? What am I really trying to do with this life? And then, and then I think you have to be uh, really focused on thinking about what you're good at. Like, you know, I can say I'm good at listening as I said, you're talking too much. Um, but I think, um, you know, you, you being good at something We're all, every single human has a talent, mm-hmm. everybody. And, you know, we're so busy comparing ourselves to other people's talents that we sometimes think we're not good enough. And to your point on that inner voice, kind of that self doubt, you have to continually tell yourself, uh, I'm as valuable and as valued as the next person. Maybe I, I'll never be a mm-hmm. brain surgeon. I'll never be a supermodel. There's lots of things I can't do, but there's lots of things I can do. Mm-hmm. And I think instead of thinking about what we can't do, and then the last thing I think about is thinking about what's going on in the world around you and how do you take what you're good at and your why and and who you are and, and put it in the context of today's world. And that's Dude. the steps of reinvention. What I found over the years, you know, our dad raised us saying, you know, there are so many naysayers out there. There are people that will tell you constantly you can't do something. And a lot of times they're only saying that because of their own insecurities, because they haven't done it. Or, you know, they, they have no reason, they have no expertise in that area, but they're just saying it to voice an opinion that doesn't matter. And that can instill so many insecurities in us. And then we have that little voice in our head that starts to repeat that, that you, you're not good enough, you can't do that. And so he, he really taught us just to ignore that. And I think that it was really great for me to learn that at a young age, that I don't need to listen to everyone out there. Or you learn how to filter who's worth listening to and what can help help you on that path. Because having you know the village help you get to where your passion is or your goal can really be helpful instead of being the lone soldier trying to do it alone. Yeah, I, I call those people that you identified in the, at the beginning of that, I call them your frenemies. Yeah. Because you think they're your friends, but they're the people that kind of say, well, why would you do that? Or, you know, do you really think that that's a good idea? Or, you know, why don't you try this? Like, you're better at that than this. Like, the people who really aren't cheerleading you, they're they're pulling you back from trying and from attempting things. And, and they're not really your friends. They're actually harming you. And, and so mm. I, I love that you had, you know, that you guys had when you were growing up that competitive mm-hmm. set, but that you also understood that it wasn't about somebody losing. It was about some, but both of you succeeding. And yeah. Know, like it's, yeah. So what was your sort of next step from there? How did you continue to grow? And, and what was that first passion, that goal that you were going towards? I just wanted to literally, I just wanted to take care of my kids. I, I there was no, there's no other magic to it. It was just basically survival and, mm-hmm. you know, got a job and, got fired from a job and I was a terrible employee, like the worst. Like I was questioning everything and trying things <laughs> differently than they said. I was like the worst. Just and then do I got, it. Yeah. yeah, just do it. I don't want to just do it. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so got fired and, <laughs> and then ended up uh, getting offered a, an opportunity to join a marketing firm, um, which, which meant come and work for us for free because as a partner, but we can't pay you because we're a startup. And that's when I learned kind of that I just uncovered this passion for it. So I I guess what I've always believed is, yeah, hard work really matters, but hard work doesn't define who you are and hard work isn't a solution to making you better at what you are. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, but you've got to have this element of, I'm going to put my effort into it. I'm going to put all my effort into it. And I did that and found my aptitude along the way and, and, but I'll tell you, like, I probably reinvented myself you know, three or four times. And I feel like a cat with nine lives sometimes. Yeah. And I'm still reinventing myself. Now, when you went to that marketing firm, though, you said you weren't getting paid, but your whole goal at that point was to be able to provide for your kids. 
So how does that work when you're moving to a job that doesn't pay to provide for your kids? <laughs> well, on the show, we're always telling people, oh, don't, you know, don't borrow on your credit cards. Don't do, you know, don't borrow from friends and family. I did all of those things. I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we're really good at telling people not what to do that we did ourselves. And, um, so I, I was maxed out on credit cards. I was I, like, I was, I was using one check to pay another, which is not legal. I don't think in any state, <laughs> like I was doing whatever I could to just survive. And, you know, my dad was, you know, giving me a hand every once in a while. And I was, it was hand to mouth stuff. I, I was like, I made, I was like the queen of, if you could can it or freeze it or make it into a pie like I, I always say I invented fruit roll-ups because I was like, how do I, how do I not throw that stuff out? What can I do with it? <laughs> like, yeah. I, so I made a penny go a long way. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. As we're talking, I'm just thinking about how during the pandemic, like we've all had to, in a way, reinvent ourselves and and shift priorities and and make things work. We saw the debate between like, well, who's going to watch the kids at home? And that just comes to mind because, you know, your purpose is, is your family and providing for your family and spending time with them. Yet at the same time, like you also have other goals with your work. I guess, how do you find harmony in that? Linda, like, I I don't know, I've been reading a lot of stats lately about what's happened in women in the workforce. And I think just, you know, because reinvention is what we're talking about. I have, uh, and it's not to say that men haven't suffered through the pandemic and Mm -hmm. et cetera too. So, but let's put that aside for a minute and just look at pure facts. The facts are that women are significantly less in the workforce. I think our workforce, a number of women in the workforce or percentage of the workforce is the same as it was 20 years ago. Um, so actually I think it was like 1987 It's more than that. So just think about that. Why did they leave the workforce? Well, they left the workforce because they went home to take care of their families, their kids. They went home to take care of the home itself. And they went home to take care of their senior parents who were left without any support. And, um, the, the struggle and then the rest of them that are continuing in the workforce were struggling with homeschooling or figuring out parent care, as I said, or figuring out how to manage, you know, everything in the home as it changed and shifted. And so there's been an enormous amount of pressure. And I think women are going to have to really reinvent kind of how they can continue to work um, through all that to regain the ground that's been lost. And it's going to require a, a shift in the way, we're thinking about work and that's happening right now. You're seeing people quit their jobs. You're, you're seeing flexibility. You're seeing more acknowledgement that, you know, maybe we don't, maybe people do need to work differently than we used to let make them work. So we need to reinvent our work environments mm-hmm. are the hours that we ask women to work and men to work. Mm-hmm. We need to reinvent the flexibility that we give them in terms of time. We need to reinvent kind of the, um, child care expectations do we do we think help them with paternity leave maternity leave do we give them support in terms of child care like what do we do as employers because i think employers are actually the lighthouse now for social change it's not yeah. government it's not anyone else not ngos it's it's us it's employers so i think we all have to think hard about what you've just identified and for me um 
when I started out working, which is now 35 years ago, I'm 65, so 34 years ago, um, there weren't many women in the workforce. You had to, I had to take my kids because I was the entrepreneur. I could take my kids to work. So I would take them to work with me. And I was really lucky because I was in charge. I got to do that. I, I, Mm -hmm. right nowadays that, that doesn't happen even today. So no, I mean, I feel, I feel the pandemic in some ways has actually given a lot of businesses uh, a chance to reflect on how they're doing business because they were forced to send everyone home. And then they were forced to have people work from home. And then they were forced to learn that there are certain benefits to people working from home. It's not that just because someone's at home, they're going to be less productive. Now it's actually given a chance to certain moms or dads that had to take care of their kids, but it also gave them a chance to do what they have to do at home and then be able to focus without without the hassle of having to commute all the way to work and then wondering what's happening with the kids. Maybe they can't afford to um, have the care that they wanted. So I I actually think there's been a lot of good that has come out of what we've learned from the pandemic and how to operate, even for ourselves too. I mean, I, I always think with our, we have about 160 employees and then we have uh, hundreds of contract uh, people that work with us, but thinking about how we might shift a little bit more too to be less structured hours and see about giving them flexibility. If you're somebody who really works well at night or if you have obligations with family or something during the day, but you can still get your things done, why not just give people the flexibility to work at their pace and then they're going to be more productive? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and every time you say the word productive, I just like, ooh, because it's like productive for who? It's like productive just for like numbers at work, but then like, you know, their, their mental health is suffering or like their family time is suffering. So it's just like, in the end, if you're looking at long-term relationships with employees, that is not productive. Like that is not a productive life as a whole. You mean the traditional structure? Yeah, yeah. I guess the, the traditional um, view of productivity, you know, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's less like people focused, but I, I feel like this time has allowed us to focus more on the people. It's a battle though, because you, you know, businesses require a certain productivity level mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or a certain output level in order to survive. At the same time, as industries like you're in require creativity and require a lot of collaboration and require people to, you know, be able to be together. And sometimes it's, I think it's idealistic to believe that we can live in a world where everybody's remote and everybody can, you know, come and go as they want, because I don't believe that's going to be, um, I think people are going to lose. I think especially junior people who aren't going to get elevated in their roles because they're never visible to anybody. Mm. You know, you can't see their effort. They don't get exposed to what other senior people do. They don't Mm. learn the same way because they're at home. They're not exposed to it the same. Mm. And there isn't those moments of, you know, hey, let me take you to this meeting with me because I start to mentor you and support you. So I think there's there's a lot of danger Mm. in too much of this notion of flexibility. Mm. Um, But it's... But I want to just mention something about uh, reinvention and your industry in particular. Like, I think your industry, the the entertainment industry, is going through a, a big reinvention. Like, not just with you know like recognizing the importance of BIPOC roles and the importance of you know like making sure that the right that that people are playing that are playing certain roles are people who are actually representative of those roles as opposed to somebody pretending they are. Mm-hmm. But also, I think there's this. Um, this shift in terms of ageism that's happening and a reinvention on kind of what's acceptable in, in the entertainment industry to say, 
you know, oh, I'm over 30. God forbid, I nobody wants to see me on screen anymore. You know, like mm. I just think that's shifting too. So it's reinventing. Hopefully. No, I, I like that. Yeah. I do love that too. I mean, I think everything's reinventing in our industry too, talking about moving to streaming. Like they're not just the people or what's uh, considered acceptable or desired for roles, but also the structure of a lot of studios and production companies and how things are done. How many times in all the years of business, this drives me crazy when I hear this, but people have been like, well, it's always been done this way. Oh yeah, lots and lots. Not as much anymore. Although I did, it does happen, you know, or somebody, well, I've got the experience and this is how it's done, but that doesn't mean it's right, you know, like. (laughs) Or or that doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. Exactly. I find, yeah, there's sort of this um, systemic, in in many industries in general or in education or anything, there are many, uh, it's systemic stubbornness Hmm. that has set things in a certain way. And I think we just need this reset button to be able to pop back and and look at things through a different lens. And the food side of things, I want to talk a little bit about with what you've done uh, for giving back and your passion for, you know, everybody having a chance to have healthy food, clean food options, and not wondering where they're going to get their next meal. And I think that there's a the whole side of that, the nutrition, where there's so much money wasted. There are billions of dollars wasted on all certain systems and structure when in reality, if we clear all that back and just come at it with a new approach, we could probably solve a lot of the issues that we have. I was speaking yesterday with a friend and his kids, his twin boys, and they're, they're 23, and they just created a program. It's called FarmLink. And they saw that there were these farms during the pandemic that were just throwing out their food and milk and everything that they had because the restaurants were all closed. They had nowhere to take it to, and it was just going to waste. And then just over here in LA, the food banks, there were lineups of people not getting food. So they created a connection from the farms to those people to help. I mean, it's a surface solving of the problem right now, but at least it's connecting something and then trying to dig deeper. So tell us a little more about your passion on that side of things and what really made you step up to try and make a difference. Well, you know, as I said, I, six years ago, I identified that I was going to start investing in the food and health space. And then then the pandemic hit and food and health became paramount in all of our minds. We all started thinking about, well, where am I, like food supply, food security, you know, food efficacy. Am I getting the nutrition I need so that I can be healthy and, and, and combat a potential illness, as, as, you know, while I'm fighting the pandemic at the same time. So all of that was happening. And, you know, and again, I, I feel like, you know, I love the fact that this company's like this one you're talking about, this farm link, that's such a great idea. What we really need to do to that is think about all the waste that's happening around the globe. You know, mm-hmm. there shouldn't be anybody going hungry in our world. There's enough food no. production to take care of everybody. The problem yeah. is, is that there's all these, you know, best before dates because they want, you know, people trying to protect themselves at the store level from, you know, like if it, if it could, it could be a day old. It's a day old. Yeah. It's not going to kill you, right? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, and that's very North American too. Um, but I feel like what got me interested in it was my own health journey and thinking about aging and thinking and watching my, my mother age and watching my dad pass away from cancer a number of years ago. Mm. My mother started to get old and I started to watch what was happening. I saw what was going on in the world around me. I thought the, the you know, the whole healing yourself is really understated. This preventative medicine that we need to do so we're not putting pressure on the healthcare systems that we're thinking differently about our bodies as vessels that really need to be nurtured. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was taught, I was raised in a generation where you were given like, you know, TV dinners were a thing. Like, I don't, I don't think there was any nutritional value in what we ate as Mm -hmm. kids. Like it was, it was all about convenience. It was all about processed foods. It was all about, you know, um, mass production. And, 
and we ended up robbing ourselves of nutrients. And so I'm a big believer in take care of your health, um, be more aware of what you're doing with your bodies. And so that got me interested in, in helping make sure that people who don't have access to good food had access to good food. Because mm. it is such a, it's a 360 thing. I mean, it's, you're not going to do well at work if you're, if you're not, or at school, if you're mm-hmm. not, um, you know, mm-hmm. filling yourself with the nutrients that you need. That's another whole part of it too. All during the pandemic, all the kids who were relying on those school meals and then now they're at home and they don't get those meals. And that, and that was really mm-hmm. scary. Yeah. What do you see as the next step in how we can sort of, everybody can make a little bit of change to help. Um, I mean, you look at how much money, how many billions, if not trillions of dollars are thrown into medication and ways to the, the growth of that industry, instead of taking that same amount of money that could go into the root of this problem to sort of reinforce healthier habits and eating habits. It seems like such a big beast. How do you make any difference from our level just in our homes? You know, there's back to the waste point and also back to, there, there's a great movie out right now called They're Trying to Kill Us. I don't know if you've seen that. Have you heard of that one? Mm, um, which is, you know, like how fast food went after specific groups of people and how they were trying to almost get you hooked on this bad stuff. And, mm. and so I, I think films like that awareness is one thing talking about it. Like we are right now getting people to be aware of, you know, why are they getting targeted and advertising for food? That's not good for you mm-hmm. thinking about the, the marketing you're getting. And then the second thing is I'm a big believer. I, I, while I know that meal kits are, can be expensive, they actually, in many ways aren't because mm-hmm. there is little waste. You're, you're getting the, the meal and the food you need to make the meal you're going to eat. And there isn't a lot of extra waste and you're not throwing things out at the end of it and you're able to eat healthier um, options. So mm-hmm. I think thinking about that, I mean, they need to still solve their packaging challenges. Some yeah, of, of them don't have sustainable packaging. So there's carbon footprint that they're leaving behind, but many of them are figuring that out. We're an investor in a company called Cook It in Quebec that does just that. It thinks about its packaging and thinks about kind of the efficacy of the products it puts into its ingredients. Mm. So I think there's that. And I just think, you know, think, talking to food banks, instead of thinking about just giving them money, which they definitely need, but thinking about how can we help them solve the problem with growing gardens in our own backyards, um, community gardens so that we can give to people in need, you know, being more generous with what we have as opposed to needing a food bank to be the vehicle for that. Can we just be a better society and and support each other in in different ways? In my mind, I mean, it's idealistic, but we all have a base food that we can, we can all get. It's a uh, nutritious and there's a great variety, but everybody gets that. That's free. That's a part of society. And then if you want luxuries, if you want something that's a little fancy or you want to eat a nice restaurant, whatever it might be, then you can pay a little extra for that. Why is fast food the, the only option families can afford? Exactly. That's just, that's the big ticket thing to figure out and, and to find a way to make it more affordable and more attractive for people just to have healthy options. I also think that all foods that are refined sugars and junk food should have an extra tax on it. I just, that's my opinion. I think there's a lot of money that can come from that. They can go right back into our built environment that can actually start to create these gardens mm-hmm. and these different systems that will actually um, help alleviate a lot of the health issues that we have in the country, which end up costing a lot more money for the country. Mm-hmm. It's this big cycle. Yeah. It is. There's a there's a group in um, Halifax called Hope Blooms, and Hope mm-hmm. Blooms was started by a woman who was walking down the street one day, and she kept walking by this empty lot, 
And she every day she walked by this empty lot. And the empty lot happened to be in a neighborhood where there were a lot of underprivileged, underserved, you know, um, kids, youth. And she came up with the idea that she could start a community garden. And she got these kids who, you know, were were from families that were, as I said, they, they, they weren't from any privilege at all. And she brought them together and created Hope Blooms. And Hope Blooms started to grow vegetables and it fed them. And then they started mm. to take that and they said, well, why don't we create a, a business, a social enterprise out of this? And they started to make salad dressings. And then they went from salad dressings to teas and they started to grow all the stuff. And the kids that I, I got, you know, helped them out over the course of, a number of the course of the last number of years and some of the kids that we started off with I, I think they were on about 10 years ago I want to say mm-hmm. on the show some of those kids are now graduates from you know world-renowned universities mm. and they've gone on to do amazing things and why because they learned about giving back in their own community they, they had purpose every day they got up every day when they had nothing to do instead of joining gangs instead of getting in trouble they went to grow vegetables and help their community so Projects like that mm-hmm. are a solution. They are the solution. Mm-hmm. We yeah. need more of that. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, that, that yeah. gets me excited just yeah. hearing that. Just an empty lot. A, a woman walking by it every day going, there's got to be some way to use that land and help these kids. And it, just, it was just a simple, but she had the courage to put it into action. And yeah. honestly, what she's done, uh, Jesse Jollymore is her name. She, what she's done, she, she should win a she should win an order of Canada something or something. I don't know. She's, yeah. she's done. She's shown that it's possible. Yeah. Jesse Jollimore. Is that what you said? Yeah. You should yeah. talk to her. She's a yeah. fantastic human. That's and talk amazing. to some of the kids that went through the program yeah. and continue to build the program. It's hope blooms is the name. Hope blooms. I love that's that. So cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll look into it too. I, I think one thing that's so exciting for me, especially if you look at a project like what, what she did there is, you know, if kids don't have that sort of opportunity, something to get excited about, something that where they can learn to give back and support their community, and also it's supporting themselves, I think you know they they can be distracted or influenced into things that are a lot more negative. Or else, even if it's not you know gang related or getting into trouble, I think there can be a lot of loneliness or a lot of self doubt, and and which can lead right. to a lot of mental um, mental health issues. And I right. feel that that's. Like that's a big part of the 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 solution here too. It's not just talking about food. It's not just talking about something community based and and togetherness. It's about talking about your own personal health. Yeah. And I know in the past you've talked about mental health um, a mm-hmm. little bit and and your journey. Has it been a challenge for you to find ways to make sure that you're checking in with yourself? Because you give a lot. You do so much for so many people. How do you check in with yourself? You know, I I was one of those people. I am ashamed to say that used to when people around me would say they had anxiety and, and if, especially it was somebody that I thought had privilege or, you know, had like their life was, you know, great. And they would say they were anxious. I would say, Oh, come on. You know, like how, like how, like suck it up, yeah. you know, how bad yeah. could life be? And, um, and then I, you know, I had gone through over the course of my life, I'd had some periods of depression and, and I was actually doing really well. And then, uh, few years ago, I started to suffer from anxiety Mm. and it is debilitating. You know, when it happens, it comes out of nowhere and it doesn't matter what you have around you or what you own or how successful you are. Anxiety comes from within and it's this sense of, you know, many, there could be many reasons you have it. And for me, when I started to experience it, I, A, I felt immediately horrible that I never really acknowledged how hard it is to Mm. deal with. And B, I started to think more about 
with whether what I was doing was actually leading to some of that anxiety. So food became a really important part of my journey. I now know that there's certain foods I have to stay away from because they actually will make me more anxious. Um, You know, so like I have to steer clear of sugar. I have to steer clear, clear of, you know, like some chocolates. I have to think hard about like if I drink too much, you know, I'm very cautious now about how much I consume in alcohol. I don't, I haven't stopped drinking, but I'll have a glass of wine instead of three glasses of wine. Um, so I had to think about that and I had to think about my physical activity and how my physical activity also led to my mental health issues. Mm. And so if I wasn't active, I became more depressed, more anxious. So I've fixed those things it's still I still get anxiety it'll come out of nowhere I'll have this moment of I, I feel like I'm melting down and it's literally I have no reason for anything going on other than who knows what triggers it mm-hmm. but I do think that these things are all connected I mean our bodies and our minds are connected so uh, but having said all that if you are eating well and and exercising and you have anxiety go and see seek help like get yeah. talk to somebody and get help and don't be ashamed of it I mean no we all have it. Mm-hmm. I think everybody needs to, I mean, talk to a therapist or a counselor, whoever it may be. I think everybody, no matter where you are and what you do in your life, it's a benefit. It's something that really just helps you get in tune. Mm-hmm. Having that former perception of like, oh, how can you, you know, be anxious when you're you're well off or you're privileged, yeah. you know, your life is great. When you experienced the symptoms yourself, did you recognize it as such right away? No, the first time I had it, Linda, I, I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. I, I like, honestly, I had all the physical like palpitations and, you know, sweaty. And I, I thought I was having a heart attack or I was going to mm-hmm. die. And, and I didn't recognize it. And it was so intense. And so um, I called, I think I called the second time I had it. I think I called 911 and had mm-hmm. medics come. So I honestly thought this, it was physical. I didn't mm. understand it to be anxiety. I thought it was a physical thing that was happening. And it is physical. Anxiety yeah. is physical. It manifests that way. And they t- they were the ones who told me that you're likely, given everything that we're, you're telling us and given your symptoms, we think you're likely having anxiety. Mm. And so then I started talking to my doctor about it and, and went from there. It's so easy to just brush it off, you know, when it's not that intense. It's easy to brush it off as like, oh, I'm just stressed or I'm just tired. But like if that goes on and it's chronic, like it is going to manifest in, you know, something extreme. Yeah. And I want to say, you know, again, for those who are listening, I might have it when I, and, and I'd be really remiss if I didn't say this. Um, when I first got it, uh, it, w- it happened after I'd had a fairly major health scare. And, and so that's why I connected it to potentially being something that had to do with, you know, my heart, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And my kids, my two daughters, actually all my kids, when I had it and had this health care, they were, I can't even thank them enough. They came and stayed with me. They talked to me when I had it in the middle of the night, they would come up and sit with me and talk me down and help me understand that it was anxiety. And they taught me um, techniques to deal with it because they had had anxiety so having my family um, support me through that was uh, really saved my life. I'm sure that created an even stronger bond for for your family core. That that's amazing. Yeah. Well, we'll also share some resources in our show notes for anybody listening too, because there are some really great resources out there for anybody who wants to find someone to talk to or anybody who's dealing with anxiety. 
as well. But um, it's been really interesting to to hear your story and and to dig in, and it's very inspiring. And so, thank you for for sharing as well. And I'm excited for you to check in with you again next year and see how things are going with how you're investing in the food space and creating opportunity for a healthier future for all families as well. But we're we're going to get a show together. We're we're going to we're going to talk about that, Drew, and then we're going to talk yeah. about that. There's a huge opportunity. To your point, then how do people learn? They learn by seeing and yeah. and 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 hearing. So we're going to do that. We like to do a speed round if you're ready. It's an at home okay, speed round. <laughs> All right. All right, Speaking go. of food, what meal makes you feel at home and who cooked it? I would say it would be a roast and it would be my mother-in-law who cooked it the first time for me, a roast. And my, my mom's Yorkshire pudding. So roast and Yorkshire pudding would make me feel like I was back in my childhood. You are the <laughs> first person I think I have ever spoken to who also said Yorkshire pudding. That is yeah. me. Oh, yeah. I love my mom's Yorkshire pudding. It's with the best gravy, thing in the world. With gravy, right? with, like, you got so it, good. you know. <laughs> Linda, Linda makes a great Yorkshire too. So what smell reminds you of home? This is going to sound funny, but if I think back to my childhood, I would say pine salt because it was the cleaning, you know, we were all, every Saturday we had to clean and we used pine yeah. salt. Um, but, oh but then I, I, I would also say the smell of uh, bread baking because we had to, we couldn't afford store-bought anything. So we had to make our own bread. Which I was, was always amazed by pine saw when I would put it on and wipe how glistening, shiny yeah. things were. But then a few days later, it all went away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we had to start again. What's your most vivid memory of home? Uh, as a kid, my most vivid memory is I can remember sitting around. We had we had no money at all. And so, as I said, everything was kind of home-baked and home-grown. And um, sitting around when, when we got groceries, groceries were a real we're not a regular occurrence at our home. It was when we had some money, we went to get groceries. And so when groceries were there and sitting down and being able to kind of eat something that was always readily available and right at that moment and sitting with my sisters and we would take a package of McCain's fries and we put them in the oven and we would have sour cream and ketchup and that was dinner. And we were so excited because that was something that was a treat for us. Mm. So I think that's the stuff that I remember. I remember these moments of, happiness when there was food well i think it goes to show too we all we find a way you find a way yeah. to to survive and, and thrive yeah. what what's a memorable growth moment when the flood happened in southern alberta and calgary and i almost lost the um the marketing business that i own and had to really reinvent everything and so i grew as a person i didn't think i was capable of doing what i've done and i learned that age has nothing to do with anything that it's all about determination and grit and seeing yourself through and so memorable growth was kind of getting through that flood and and reinventing my business what's your next reinvention oh um i don't know right now i'm i'm loving what i'm doing i'm going to raise this fund and um i don't know maybe next time you see me i'll be married who knows <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't maybe know. we'll be at your wedding. Yeah, I'll, exactly. I'll be the, the efficient if you need. Yeah, <laughs> never say never. I, I'm not dating anyone, so it'll be a miracle. But you, know, <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, you know, things can happen fast. So I'll come to LA. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep well, our eyes peeled. Well, thank yeah. you so much for, for joining us. And by the way, we have an amazing team and just want to say a huge thank you to all of them. We could not do this without them. Brandon Angelino, 
Annalie Bell, Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis, West Friend, Chris Cobain, Nicole Schachter, and Sabrina Ayakobuchi. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson, and our music composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Yes, please do. Please do. And also leave comments on our social media at At Home. We love to hear from you. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (laughs) Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm -hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.